0: A young girl sneaks out in the middle of the night, during the middle of a thunderstorm, and is never seen again. What caused this child to leave her happy home behind? Killing. Missing. Hidden. A podcast about. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another edition of the KMH Podcast. This is Brad with you as always. I feel like I say this a lot, but this week we have another very strange case. I guess I wouldn't be doing my job if I collected boring cases, but this one has driven me particularly crazy uh, to the point that I'm recording it at the very last possible second to get it out for you all on Tuesday. I keep feeling like there's uh, one more piece of evidence or one more article I need to read that I just haven't found, um, because I feel like there is a solution to this case and, and we're just so close to solving it, but we're not there. And I really hope that by doing this, someone out there can offer up a solution to this very sad puzzle. So today we're talking about Asia Degree. Uh, she is one of the more famous missing persons cases out there. She was born in Shelby, North Carolina in August of 1990. She was born to a very good family. Her life focused on school, sports, family, and church. Her mother was a little overprotective. She forbid the internet being in their house because she had seen too many stories about kids being lured away by predators and learning about other bad things. She also heavily restricted what could be watched on television but she was a loving mother. The dad was a hard worker. I believe we worked two jobs to provide for the family. The mom also worked. Asia was known to be a shy child, very reserved, and a little bit cautious. She was well known to be terrified of both dogs and the dark. However, both Asia and her brother were considered to be very well behaved children, very trustworthy. Uh, They would fall into the category of latchkey kids in today's world, since both parents had to work. So, I'm sorry, on February 10th, 2000, which was a Thursday, Asia's school lit out for a three-day weekend. Since school was closed on Friday, Asia and her brother spent their day with their aunt, who lived across the street. On February 12th, which is a Saturday, Asia played in her, with her, team, her basketball team, and sadly, they suffered their first loss of the season. This was also the first time Asia had fouled out. She was very upset, cried a lot during and after the game, but by the time her brother's game had started, she had calmed down and was back to her old self. That Sunday the 13th, the family attended church as usual and generally had a typical Sunday. Asia's father had to leave in the afternoon to work a second shift at his job. Asia and her brother, who shared a room, went to bed around 8 o'clock that night. Now, typically, they'd take a bath before bed, but the power went out this night, and thus they couldn't take a bath in the dark because that's just weird on a whole new level. So they went on to bed. Asia's father got home from his work around 12.30 in the morning. He said he checked on his kids and found them both asleep. He enjoyed his quiet time, unwound, watched some TV, and then went on to bed around 2.30 a.m. And again, Dad checked, made sure both kids were still sleeping, and both kids were. However, when it was time for the kids to get ready for school around 5.45 a.m., Asia was missing. Naturally, the parents frantically searched the entire house without finding Asia. Grandmother and aunt lived across the street, and she was with neither one of them. The police were called at 6.30, and, unlike most of our stories, responded quickly, arriving at the house at 6.40 a.m. Police dogs were brought, but they were unable to pick up a scent. That's not shocking, because It was in the middle of a terrible thunderstorm. I believe it had just finished passing through when police arrived. During all the commotion, Asia's mother alerted the neighbors of her situation and virtually all agreed to help. Members of the Degree family's congregation came to help as well, and an impromptu search began that very morning at about 7 a.m., Despite this massively quick response, they spent the entire day searching and turned up nothing. The police and the community immediately came together to search for Asia, which, as I mentioned earlier, is kind of unusual in the cases we talk about, but it's also very heartwarming to see. Asia's mother searched Asia's room looking for anything which could tell her what happened. She discovered that several things were missing from Asia's room, including her book bag, several several pairs of clothes, and a few personal items. Apparently, Asia had packed, among other things, her basketball uniform, several family photos, and a lime green Tweety Bird purse, though there are some reports that dispute exactly what went into the book bag. As per standard procedure, Asia's parents were investigated and given polygraph tests. Both passed and were quickly ruled out as suspects. Now, it's important to note that there's no indication given from any of the reports I read, any of the interviews I saw, that Asia was acting odd before her disappearance. She seemed to be the same nine-year-old girl she had always been up and through that Sunday. Sometime between 3.45 and 4.15 a.m., during this heavy rainstorm, a truck driver saw a young girl walking south on Highway 18, wearing a white long sleeve t-shirt and white pants. Despite the terrible weather, she did not wear a coat or a hat. This highway is in a rather rural part and lacks streetlights. Finding it odd that a child would be out alone on the highway at such an hour in such conditions, the trucker eventually reported this to the police. Now, this was not a time when cell phones were common, so he did not report it until that evening. A separate motorist also saw the child walking down the street. The motorist turned around and tried to speak to the child, but she bolted into a nearby woods when the motorist called for her. Now, woods is a bit of a heavy word. It's really more of something akin to a tree line or little splotches of trees. These sightings both occurred about 1.3 miles from Major's house. Neither witness immediately contacted the police, as I alluded to earlier and that may have compromised the ability of anyone to find this child. Uh, The motorist in particular didn't think to let the police know about this until he saw the news report of Asia missing that night. Now, police spoke to the truck driver and the motorist and confirmed that their stories were very similar, believing them to have found Asia or had witnessed Asia walking down the side of the road. The reports matched in what Asia was believed to be wearing, though that clothing did not match what she went to bed in, suggesting she changed clothes. So all this took place on February 14th, Valentine's Day. On the 15th, during another search, police found a pile of candy wrappers in a shed behind a business on Highway 18. Now the candy wrappers happened to match the candy that Asia and her teammates received from their coach after the basketball game in celebration of Valentine's Day. Also in the shed were a pencil, a marker, and a Minnie Mouse style hair bow that Asia's mother confirmed belonged to Asia and was among the items missing from the home. Despite the shed being dusty and unused, there was no evidence Asia or anyone else had been in the shed. There were no footprints in the dust, and no mud could be found anywhere. Search dogs were brought up there, and they didn't catch a whiff of Asia. Over the next week, the family mobilized en masse, and flyers were posted all over a three-mile area. It is estimated that police... Uh, It was estimated by police that Asia could have traveled. Between all the police and the volunteers who spent searching over this week, it is estimated that more than 9,000 man hours were spent looking for Asia. Police received and followed up on over 300 leads, but not a single one bore fruit. The sheriff at the time said during a news conference that it was extremely frustrating that they had been unable to find a solid lead, and because of that they were forced to call off an active search. Now, they kept the file open and certainly continued doing passive searches, but this was not no longer an active search. About that same time, the sheriff called the North Carolina Bureau of Investigation and the FBI. This was on February 22nd. Asia was added to the National Database for Missing and Exploited Children. State investigators determined that Asia had planned to run away for at least several days before uh, the early morning hours of February 14th. The FBI's investigation concluded there wasn't an obvious problem she was running away from. An expert at the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children noted that this case was odd, as meaningful runaway attempts were typically not made by children under the age of 12, unless there was a massive problem that they couldn't deal with, typically being abuse at home, uh, poor grades at school, a very poor school environment, something like that. And remember, Asia was only nine when she left that morning. Regardless of Asia's reasons, investigators were forced to reach the conclusion that Asia had either been abducted or had become lost during her journey. Her story went national in just a few weeks. It was featured on The Oprah Winfrey Show, America's Most Wanted, and The Montel Williams Show. But unfortunately, the case went cold, as no new information or evidence was collected. Well, that is until August of 2001, when a construction worker who was doing some renovation and digging up some dirt found Asia's backpack. Oddly, this backpack was wrapped inside of a black garbage bag and then wrapped in a second garbage bag where, when it had been buried. This construction site was also on Highway 18, 26 miles north of where Asia was last seen, and not very far from the South Mountain State Park. The book bag also had Asia's name and phone number written on a sheet of paper inside the bag. When the bag was turned over to the FBI, it contained only a New Kids on the Block t-shirt, which Asia's mother said was not hers, and a Dr. Seuss book, which had been checked out from Asia's school library. The FBI conducted forensic testing on the bag and the other items, uh, but have never released the results of these tests to the public, which is not unusual. Now, this kicked up a whole new round of leads and investigations and searching and all that, but again, nothing came of this. During this time, a prisoner claimed he knew that Asia was buried near an intersection at Lawndale in North Carolina, and bones were found there. But it turned out to be an animal carcass. Asia's parents continued to work tirelessly to keep this case from becoming forgotten. In 2008, they established a scholarship in Asia's name, and ever since her disappearance, they host an annual walk in Asia's memory. They still have a billboard, and they still distribute flyers throughout the area, both of which contain Asia's picture from when she went missing and what she may look like today. And you can find both of those pictures in my show notes. Fast forward ahead to January 2014. Law enforcement thought they may have caught a break because 52-year-old Donald Preston Ferguson was arrested for a 1990 murder and sexual assault of a 7-year-old in Greensboro, North Carolina which happened to occur while he was awaiting trial in South Carolina for a murder and sexual assault of a 10-year-old from 1989. I couldn't find much details on the South Carolina charge, but the Greensboro case involved Mr. Ferguson convincing a 7-year-old girl to leave her house before school one morning, and he ended up assaulting her and killing her and dumping her body behind her elementary school. Considering the similar MOs, Ferguson seemed like a credible lead. However, he was eventually ruled out as a suspect by law enforcement. Never figured out exactly what the key fact was, but apparently he had an alibi or some other information that kept him from being the person who committed this, this act. In February of 2015, the FBI, the State Bureau of Investigation and the Sheriff's Office announced they were going to renew the investigation. With that, they offered a $25,000 reward for any information leading to Asia's discovery. The community attempted to match it and came up with another $20,000 to add to the reward. Now, again, I've, I've kind of applauded law enforcement here. I think they've done a good job. But sadly, the now-retired sheriff who was in charge of the case when Asia first went missing ended up dying of a self-inflicted gunshot wound in the summer of 2015. A friend and colleague said that this case had eaten away at him during his retirement as he felt like he had failed the Degree family. In May of 2016, the FBI announced a new possible lead in the case. They had learned that Asia was seen entering into an early 1970s green Lincoln Continental or Ford Thunderbird on Highway 18. These are very distinctive-looking vehicles. If you're not familiar with them, look them up and you'll see what I mean. They're flashy, they look like tanks, and they're kind of cool. The vehicle was described as having rust all along the wheel wells. It's never explained why it took 16 years for this information to surface. In September of 2017, the FBI announced it had created a special Child Abduction Rapid Deployment Team, or CARD team, for this case that would be based out of Cleveland County, which is Asia's home county. The CARD team continues to meet with local law enforcement several times a month and has conducted over 300 interviews since being formed. So remember, police initially followed up on 300 leads Now, the CARD team, several years later, has conducted another 300 interviews. What's interesting about this is CARD teams are typically only formed when the FBI thinks they are close to resolving an abduction case. That's if my memory from my days of practicing law is correct. In October of 2018, the sheriff again appealed to the public for any information about Asia, focused specifically on the two items found in her backpack. But sadly, as we record this, Asia remains missing. So there are a lot of theories surrounding this case I found, and I'm going to try to cut through them as quickly as I can because I think most of them don't hold water. Uh, In fact, I've eliminated it down to just the truly most popular theories, I think about three of them, because there are so many out there. First, I've seen folks speculate that Asia died of hypothermia. She was last seen walking in a total down par in about 40-degree weather without a coat or a hat. She was young and probably not properly hydrated after spending the previous eight hours or so sleeping. And she was well over a mile from her house when she was last seen. This means, with such a massive storm, she had probably been easily walking for at least 30 minutes, maybe longer, depending on how rough the terrain was in this weather. This certainly does prevent a recipe for a fatal situation, but the problem with this theory is it doesn't explain why Asia's body has never been found. If she were to die from hypothermia... She would have been easily found, I believe, by the volunteers when they searched the area the day she went missing she She wouldn't have buried herself um, unless she found a storm drain or something like that that somebody that nobody ever thought to look. I just don't think this is a plausible explanation for her disappearance, so. We don't get out of this case that easy. The second theory involves the father. The timeline regarding his return from work is a little muddied. There are Most reports claim he came straight home, but others claim that there's evidence he went to a local whole night store to buy his family Valentine's Day candy. I don't have any sources that prove this is correct or incorrect. I do think that in 1990, there was not a plethora of all-night sores, uh, especially ones that would be open at 12.30 or 1 o'clock on a Sunday, mor- Sunday evening slash Monday morning, especially in the South. Or at least that's my experience from growing up down here. So I think it's most likely that he came home from work and stayed there until he went to bed. The theory that surrounds the dad is not only does he have this muddy timeline, but people think there was abuse going on in the house. Again, a child under 12 is rarely considered a runaway unless there is a specific event that police can point to as a reason For the child wanting to disappear. The people who theorize the families to blame claim that Asia and her brother lived in a four-bedroom house but were forced to share a room. On top of that, they put a lot of stock into Asia's mother's statement that she was having to draw a bath for both of her children before school. And from that, they claim that this must be evidence of abuse that Asia was being forced into a relationship with her brother or some other bizarre, crazy nonsense. I can't really even piece it together. Um, I'm not willing to stretch a mother's statement that far. Merely because she said she was preparing a bath does not mean she was not willing to prepare two baths. Further, there's no evidence they lived in a four-bedroom home. These were hardworking folks, but they were not folks who were rolling in dough. In fact, you can go on Google Maps and look at Oak Crest Drive in Shelby, North Carolina. That's where they lived. Look at those houses and tell me if any of them look like four-bedroom houses. To me, they don't. And, of course, the parents, as always, were the first people to be investigated. And police cleared them very quickly. It also wouldn't explain why she was missing to this day or why she was witnessed by motorists walking down the side of the road. From all appearances, the Degree family looked like a very tight-knit bunch I think this theory is nothing more than an attempt to find someone to blame and to heck with who it is. I think it's, personally, I think it's a very offensive theory and there's just no way I can support it. This family's been through enough. There's no reason for the internet to be throwing mud on them. Now, the most popular theory appears to be that Asia planned to leave at the request of someone she knew and trusted. Remember all the reports we have about Asia Painter is a shy and timid girl who's scared of the dark. So it's very difficult to imagine that she would leave her home in the middle of the night during a storm on her own. The FBI strongly believes that Asia packed her book bag before that evening, since she did not awaken her brother while she was engaging in her escape. For if... Asia is anything like my kids, there's no way she could go into her closet and pack a book bag without making it sound like a bomb was going off. So, who would have so much sway over this girl? It would have to be someone in her circle. A teacher, a coach, a member of her church's congregation, somebody along those lines. And what motivation could they give her to make Asia walk so far in the pouring rain behind her parents' back. The Thinking Sideways podcast, when they reviewed this case, suggested that she may have been convinced to attend a specialty basketball camp as a surprise for her parents, which I found to be an interesting idea. Her father was way into sports. Asia was the point guard for her team and was considered to be possibly the star of the team. She was naturally athletic. She played other sports like softball. And I could see where somebody could talk her into, hey, let's do this as a surprise for your dad. We'll go to this camp. You'll come back, and you'll be the next LeBron James. Is that enough to motivate her to walk in the dark in the rain? I don't know. But of the theories that float around the internet, that seems like the most plausible. Now, if she was meeting someone, why was she meeting them over a mile away and at such an odd hour and during a middle storm? I'm sorry, in the middle of a storm. Why would she make a pit stop at a shed where she happened to leave behind her hair bow and some other belongings. It's it's questions we don't have answers to. Okay, I want to talk about my thoughts on this case, but before we do that, I, I think it'd be helpful, at least for me, to discuss some of the major facts that we've gone through. So let's recall. Asia packed her book bag before she left that morning. She planned this. She brought multiple sets of clothes, as well as other trinkets, including family photos. Asia disappeared sometime between 2.30 a.m. and 5.45 a.m. on February 14th. It was storming heavily when she left and it did not stop until sometime just after sunrise. Asia was seen approximately 1.3 miles south of her house on Highway 18 at approximately 4 a.m. When confronted by a random motorist, she ran away, which is the last time she's known to be seen. On February 15th, candy wrappers were found in a shed not far from where she was last seen, but on the other side of the road. This is also where we find her Minnie Mouse bow, a marker, and a pencil, but we do not find any evidence Asia entered the shed. About 18 months later, her backpack is found, buried, wrapped in two plastic garbage bags, With her name and phone number written on the inside of it, 26 miles north of her house. So we have lots of pieces that don't fit together very nicely. So making a plausible story as to what happened to Asia is challenging. Now, I'll start off saying I believe this little girl was murdered, I think she would have been found in some way shape or form had she not been i you know she would be what in her 30s by now and so even accidentally she would stumble into her case on the internet because this is such a popular case and we would imagine would attempt to reconnect with her family if she were still alive. I think it's very likely she was asked to leave the house by someone who she trusted intimately. Possibly, maybe one of her father's co-workers who was close to the family, as he would be getting off work at the same time, he would be up at that hour. But this is absolutely wild speculation on my behalf. We just know it's somebody she trusted. I don't know why she was walking so far in such a terrible rainstorm. This trusted friend may have told her to meet at a specific spot that she would have been familiar with that was a ways away. This would be rather clever of the friend because it would offer him or her some degree of protection during the investigation. First, you would have all this physical evidence pointing to Asia walking south away from her home. Second, it would never place him near the family home when she went missing. Of course, this also greatly increases the likelihood that she never makes the attempt to meet with her friend or fails to make it all the way to her friend. So for this theory to work, Asia is going to have to be strongly, strongly motivated to meet this friend. And we are left to totally guess as to what that could be. The basketball camp's an interesting idea, but who knows if that's enough to make a nine-year-old girl go through such a tough hike at such a weird hour, knowing that it's going to upset her parents. I'm sure the police have looked at who and who was not involved in the search efforts. It's actually not uncommon for killers to jump in and join search efforts looking for their victims. Indeed, Mr. Ferguson, who we spoke of earlier, was involved in the search for the Greensboro girl. But my gut is telling me that the person who committed this crime wouldn't have been part of the search. And I base that largely on the time factor involved. This search started immediately, which, again is a credit to the community and to the police force. The only way this person could have participated in the search is if he met Asia and immediately killed her, then hid the body, and then rushed back to join in the search. I think that would be I think that would be unlikely. I think you'd want to change clothes. I think you'd want to have a fresh appearance if you had murdered someone before you went searching for them. The shed evidence is also very strange to me, as I keep pointing out. I just don't see how every description of the shed I read said it was almost like an abandoned building. Dust everywhere. There's old, there's a tractor in there, a bunch of old equipment and parts. You couldn't walk through there without disturbing some of the dust and leaving a mark. Yet police found nothing. Additionally, if it was raining so badly that night, you'd have to believe that Asia was covered in mud from her, below her ankles. So for her to enter the shed, she would have to leave some mud behind. Again, I think even in the best of weather, we would see footprints in the dust. But when you couple it with the mud, I don't see how it's possible for her to enter in there. Even if she managed, even if she thought to take off her shoes and her socks and walked in there with feet that were dry as a bone, the water dripping from her body would have left marks in the dust that police could have identified. Yet we have none of that. This leads me to believe that the candy wrappers and the bow were left as a distraction to police by the killer. I think it's, my thinking is supported by the fact that police dogs caught no scent of her. I would not expect them to catch scent of her after that rainstorm, but if she went into an enclosed area protected from the elements, they would have caught scent of her there. Also, this shed was not just off the road. It was back several hundred feet behind a business. You had to know it was there to really get there. Asia very well could have known it was there from traveling with her parents or whatnot. But I don't think she would cross the street and duck into the shed when she passes so many other buildings and houses along her journey. And this is just viewing the evidence in isolation. I feel bolstered in my approach when you consider that the backpack was preserved in the way it was, which we'll get to in a moment. So if and when Asia reached her friend, I think since she had walked south, she got in her friend's vehicle and headed north. Again, because this would be Opposite of what the evidence was showing the police. When they head north a ways, 26 miles away, a marathon away, the decision is made to dump Asia's backpack. And I cannot, for the life of me, come up with a good reason to dump the backpack in the manner it was found. While we all hear stories about serial killers wanting to leave some sort of signature behind, this is actually very rare in reality. However, it is not uncommon for killers to experiment with this idea. So if we have some new kid on the block, pun intended, trying to make a name for himself as a killer... This could have been an attempt to leave a calling card behind. But again, this is uncommon, and this is just speculation. And I don't know why you'd leave your calling card buried underneath a mound of dirt. There's simply no reason to double-bag it and then bury it. You're preserving evidence, and that's certainly not something you want to do if you know the police are looking for you. You leave Asia's phone number and name in there. You leave a shirt that was not hers in there and a book that presumably she had checked out from her school library in there. And then you take the trouble to bury it. This makes me think that Asia was dead by the time this act was taken. Her whole world, or what she had left of her world, was in that backpack, and I don't think she'd give it up willingly. Wrapping the backpack could have been done before Asia was killed to ensure that no forensic evidence got on there. But then you would think you would take the bags off when you were done. Further, if you don't want it to be found, why do you not burn it? Why do you not fill it with rocks and throw it in a lake or a river? Why not just throw it in a random dumpster? I'm really puzzled by the book bag being left in the condition it was in where it was in. I almost get the feeling like this was a way to taunt police. Now, that being said, the fact that the FBI tested the bag and have not released the results of that test suggests to me that they did find something rather incriminating and they're holding it close to their vest in case they ever find a suspect so they can have that evidence that they always hold back to say well we never released this to the public how did you know about it i don't buy in to the report that asia was seen entering the green lincoln or ford on highway 18 this information came about far too late in the process when it should have been something somebody would remember at the time of her disappearance. Further, the the details about the rust being on the wheels, I believe would be impossible for an eyewitness to provide based on the weather conditions of that day. So the, the green continental or Thunderbird, whichever it was, I think we can toss that to the side. Now I do have faith that the that law enforcement believes this case is actually pretty close to being solved because of the card unit being stationed in Cleveland County. My understanding is the FBI does not assemble a card team until they believe they are close to making an arrest. Now, I have to give the disclaimer I didn't work on a ton of federal criminal cases during my time in practice. So I don't have the amount of experience dealing with the FBI as I do with local law enforcement. But that's my understanding. And if I'm wrong, I'm sure one of y'all will be happy to tell me so. Regardless of how right or wrong my theory is, I can't begin to fathom, I guess as to where Asia was killed or where her body might be found. I do think this will be a difficult crime to solve, as I think the perpetrator was of above-average intelligence and worked hard to confuse the police for, and others long enough for most of the forensic evidence to be lost to time. But I do believe this will ultimately be solved because there are too many good police officers working on this case and somebody's going to stumble into something. If you put a gun to my head and say, where should we start looking? I would point to the state park nearby where her backpack was found. I would think if you've killed a child, you don't want to keep any of her mementos with you any longer than you have to. So burying her off of some hiking trail in this park where people are unlikely to stumble into it and then taking the book bag and for whatever reason leaving it in a preserved state for people to find years later, that may be the way to go if you just have to play the comic book villain and tease police. Now, there is an alternate theory that I've considered and really meditated on. And that theory is that the person behind it is that witch Carol Baskins. I know we've reached critical mass with these Tiger King jokes and memes, but I'm still immature enough to find them funny. So there we go. Another mystery with no conclusion. This one has been probably the most frustrating case I've looked at doing this podcast. Just because I feel certain that we're overlooking something. We, we've got a puzzle piece that fell off the table and it's right there and we just can't find it. And it drove me crazy. Again, please, if you see anything I've missed or any of these other podcasts that have covered the story has missed, or more importantly, law enforcement has missed, speak up. The Cleveland County Sheriff's Office will take your call. They still consider this an active case. And their phone number is 747-484-4888. Remember, this poor family has done everything they can to keep Asia in the public consciousness. And they certainly deserve closure as quickly as possible. They need to know what happened to their little girl. So if you can help in any way, please do. Okay, now we move on to palate cleanser time. The highlight of the show. What board game do tornadoes just love to play? What are Tornado's favorite board game? I'm guessing most of y'all got this one. It is, it must be Twister. Always in on a strong joke, right? Well, that's it for this week. Everyone, please keep washing your hands and staying isolated. But, while you're killing time in quarantine, please take a moment to rate, subscribe, and share. I've said it a million times before, and I'll say it a million times again. This is the only way people can find a small podcast like ours. where adrift in a sea of corporate-produced podcasts without much fun or passion. And it tickles me how many of y'all like tuning in every week. It's very flattering, and I would love to share this with as many people out there who would be interested in hearing of these sorts of cases. Plus, I would consider it a personal favor. And I know that has to mean a lot to y'all. I mean, a personal favor from Brad is worth, I mean, it could be measured in pennies. Okay, well, with that, we are done. You can join us next week for the next crazy story I dig up. But for now, I wish you all peace, love, and chicken grease. Good day. Thank you for listening to Killing, Missing, Hidden. Make sure to rate, subscribe, and share. Questions? Email us at info at kmhpodcast.com.